Investing with IBD is brought to you by Alliance Bernstein, a global investment manager offering active, flexible solutions across asset classes. ABS the tools and expertise investors need to get their portfolios ready to navigate late-cycle investing. To find out more, visit abfunds.com. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to Investing with IBD for March 27th, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Paris, and joining me in the studio this week is Chris Gessel, Chief Content Officer of IBD. Good to see you again, Chris. Always glad to be here. Today we have a special guest, Randy Watts, Chief Investment Strategist of William O'Neill. Hey, Randy. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, Randy's going to join us in a few minutes here. He's going to talk to us about the market and current stocks. And, of course, for segment three, we are going to end the episode with a discussion of sell rules. Okay, so let's talk about the current market. So, so Chris, the current market is uptrend under pressure. We have five distribution days on the NASDAQ, six on the S&P 500. And, of course, the market has pulled back this week. So, you know, last Thursday was a great day in the market, really up nicely strong, and uh, leaders were acting well, and that all changed the next day when the yield curve inverted and people started uh, worrying about economic growth. And since then, you know, Monday and Tuesday weren't too bad, but uh, Wednesday, you know, again, the, the indexes weren't down that much, but leading stocks were down a lot. So, Randy, let's uh, talk about what's going on in the market now and really the, the larger economic picture uh, that you're seeing. Uh, and I guess let's talk about I mean, Chris mentioned the yield curve. Well, let's go into that a little bit. What are you seeing with that? Sure. So the yield curve is significant. It's you know kind of ironic that last year the Fed, uh, the San Francisco Fed actually wrote a paper about the predictive nature of the three-month to the 10-year I think last year everyone was kind of focused on the two to ten year spread, and the San Francisco Fed came out and said, "Well, we think the one that really indicates and has the highest R squared with a recession is actually the three month to the ten year." And you know that inverted last week, and uh, as we you know at the close of business on Wednesday, it's still inverted by about five basis points. And if you look back to the '60s till now, you know that doesn't happen very often, and historically it it has been significant for stocks. Uh, We've done some, some work on this, and what we've found is that on average for the S&P, when the three-month to 10-year yield inverts, uh, stocks return about a minus 2.6% over the next 52 weeks. So I think it is something for investors to be, to be aware of. Okay, and, and, so may, and so that's probably what's going on with the market, the starting to react to that, because that's really interesting. Uh, especially if it's a 52-week kind of indicator uh, right there. And so we are starting to see, see some of these growth stocks selling off. Maybe risk is starting to – people are starting to back away from risk speculation at this point. And one thing that's interesting also is, you know, the three worst groups usually after that happens over the next uh, forward 52 weeks are actually tech, financials, and consumer cyclicals. You've already seen a lot of damage happen to financial stocks in particular the regional banks, in, in a way they almost forecast the curve inverting. They started to sell off pretty hard uh, before that happened. I think they were down as a group double digit last week. Um, but technology's been, you know, the real leader of this market, particularly semis and software. And, you know, some of those names do look kind of extended. So I, I do wonder if, if some of those stocks aren't due for a little bit of a breather here. Yeah, we have, for a lot of the, the software stocks, uh, they broke out of bases. They're probably up 20 plus percent 
right now. And yeah, it almost seems like they were acting a little too well uh, at this time. So yeah, I would agree that it, it wouldn't be a shock for them to have a, a bit of a breather. And like we said yeah. earlier, uh, the leaders of this market rally have been taking the hardest hits over the last couple of days. So definitely today was a good example when the market was down a half percent. There were a lot of leaders that were down, you know, 3%, 4%, 5%. So it's always tough in that, uh, these sorts of situations. And that's something I think we're going to see regardless of market direction over the rest of the year. One thing that's been very unusual about this rally from that December 24th low to today is that performance has been pretty good across both sectors and individual stocks. All of the O'Neill sectors are within 10% of each other in terms of performance. That's unusual. On a yearly basis, that spread is usually more like, like, like 40%. And the number of stocks that are on the New York Stock Exchange that are trading above their 30-week moving average got to a peak north of 75% in this most recent rally. Normally, that usually represents kind of a, a near-term peak. So we think it's going to become a little bit more of a stock picker's market, regardless of market direction, as we move through the remainder of the year, where getting the right sector and the right names is going to become more important. You know, everyone kind of made money in this rally from, from Christmas Eve. We think going forward, it's going to, be, it's going to get harder. All right. And going back to the, the yield curve, I mean, a lot of times the, the lead time before uh, the economy really rolls over can be quite a long time. Is does your research show the same thing? What do you think the the chance of a uh, a full blown recession is right now? I, I think at this point the chance of a full blown recession is 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 pretty is pretty low. But I guess I would uh, say two things here. The first is economic estimates for GDP growth for both the world and the U.S. keep ticking down. So we've had a kind of a, a drip, drip, drip of negative revisions for growth rates from a variety of people, including the Fed, including the ECB, including the OECD, uh, really for the last kind of, you know, four or five months. The second thing, and I, I'm probably a little bit more concerned about this, is, is profits. You know, we believe at O'Neill that over time, stocks really follow corporate profits. And Q1 is going to see for the S&P 500, profits actually, on average, contract. Uh, earnings estimates right now for Q1 are to be down 3.7%. That's the first time that's happened since the second quarter of 2016. And if you look at the earnings progression using consensus estimates on Wall Street right now, uh, invest uh, investors are expecting minus 3% in Q1, basically flat earnings in Q2, 1% to 2% growth in Q3, but 8% growth in Q4. So earnings estimates for this calendar year are really, really back and loaded. And I'm skeptical about whether we're really going to get such a strong pop in earnings at the end of the year. You know, if we don't, then I think investors could be disappointed on, on earnings growth for the year. And I, I, I worry about that. I worry about a little bit of a, of a profit recession for, the, for, for, for corporate America as opposed to an actual economic recession for the country. Well, what about, uh, it seems like the economy is the weakest in Europe. And what do you think the, the prospects that Europe could kind of drag everyone else down? Uh, I think it's definitely affecting U.S. Uh, large large U.S. company profits. You know, most large U.S. companies get about 40% of their, their sales overseas. They've had a double whammy in that both China has slowed down 
Europe has slowed down, and the dollar has actually been pretty strong. So that that's hitting profits as well. Uh, and, and when you throw on top of that domestic labor cost, I think that all sort of shapes up to more pressure on the top line, but also a little bit of a margin contraction. I think for earnings to hit the estimates that people have for the back half of this year, we're going to see need to see you know global growth pick up a little bit, and also for margins to to improve. I think the the bull story for the market is that all of the central banks now are basically easing, and uh, you know in in the U.S. the way we're easing is that the Fed has said they're going to stop the rate hikes and that they're actually going to stop uh, shrinking the balance sheet uh, uh, this summer. So in a sense, going from that to neutral is really an ease. I think investors are hopeful that all of this central bank easing globally is going to result in a pickup of economic growth you know, late in the year. So technically, uh, we've got the NASDAQ you know, still above the 200-day, uh, and the 50-day uh, is rising. It's still below the 200-day moving average. I guess we're thinking, you know, if this is going to be a normal pullback and and the market really isn't broken, we'll get uh, support around that those areas where, especially when those lines converge. What are you thinking? Um, how much more the market could pull back before we know if it's really broken? I, I think I guess I strongly feel the market wants to, at a minimum, consolidate here, right? So it can do that one of two ways. It can either do it through time or through price. Uh, we've done a lot of work as well on up legs and down legs at O'Neill. And after the magnitude of the up leg we just had, I think it was, what, 22% from, the, from that December low? Right. Uh, it, it would be very typical, very typical for the market to correct in the kind of 4 to 8% range. Now, if you look at the S&P 500, the 200-day and the 50-day moving averages, they're pretty close to each other. They're only a difference of, of eight points. So they're about 2% below where we are right now. I, I would kind of be surprised if, if there is a, 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 a correction here, if it, if it only goes down 2%. I think if you look more in that, that 4 to 8% range from the peak, that would make a little bit more sense. You know, that would give you a market that was more around 2730 to, to 2625. I think if you had that kind of a pullback, that would frighten a lot of investors and shake out some weak hands and possibly give you know a buying opportunity for, for, for investors. Okay, one, one more thing here, Randy. Let's talk about sector performance and what are you seeing on that level? Well, I'd say the, the most one of the most interesting things is you know utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. And the work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. I think, and I think the reason for that is once the yield curve inverts, you're probably getting towards the end of the decrease in 10-year bond yields. So, you know, utility has been such an outperformer that we think it makes sense to start to reallocate out of that sector, it's been the it's been the best sector over the last fifty two weeks, which I you know is, is amazing. That's unbelievable. Well, I think the fourth quarter really uh, gussied it up. <laughs> that, that, that's true. That's true. Okay, so the market is under pressure. We we found some more information why that's uh, happening. The yield curve is inverting uh, now. There's a lot of the earnings are uh, really baked in. Hopefully, for that second half to accelerate and sector performance, uh, the utilities. Or have been doing the, the best over the last 52 weeks. Uh, so in the end, obviously, we're always using price and volume 
to give us the the indicator. So you always let the the way I like to look at it, you're letting the market slowly pull you in and slowly push you out. You're going to notice that in the market and the stocks. Uh, so before let's take a quick break here, but I hope everyone is enjoying free access week with MarketSmith. If you haven't had a chance to take a look at that, investors.com forward slash MS free access. And up next, we'll have Randy come back and he's going to talk about a few stock current stocks that are popping up on the radar. So stay tuned. Hey guys, Arusha from Investing with IBD here. The global economic cycle is moving into its later stages, creating a less favorable mix of growth and inflation. Central banks aren't providing as much fuel to keep things moving either. And market volatility has come back in a big way. All of this makes investing a lot more challenging today. Alliance Bernstein can help. AB is a global investment manager with the tools and expertise to get portfolios ready for a more difficult path ahead. That means finding stocks from companies that are able to deliver quality growth over time. Adding downside protection against market downturns is critical too. And even though interest rates are rising, investors shouldn't avoid duration in their fixed income exposure. The bottom line, investments will have to work harder to generate long-term returns, but that shouldn't mean that investors have to struggle to find answers. AB offers actively managed flexible investment solutions across asset classes. It's what you need to adapt your portfolio for late cycle investing. To find out more, visit abfunds.com. We're back with Chris Gessel and Randy Watts, chief investment strategist from our sister company, William O'Neill. And in this segment, we're going to talk about current stocks. So, Randy, let's go into the first stock, Vertex. So, yeah, I brought I brought three stocks today. They're each a little bit of a different flavor. The stock I'm probably the most excited about as we look out over the next 52 weeks is really Vertex, which is a biopharmaceutical company that's uh, headquartered in Massachusetts. Uh, it's it, it, they're already uh, you know profitable. They're already uh, have revenues and, and drugs on the market, but they're about to submit a triple combo drug for cystic fibrosis. Now, they currently have a product for cystic fibrosis, but only addresses about 39,000 patients out of a universe of about 75,000. And they're going to submit to the FDA this triple combo at some point in the second quarter. And we would expect approval on that drug by, by year end. And what's significant about the combo drug is that it can treat 90% of the patients, which is about 68,000, so a big, big pickup in the number of patients they can they can they can address, and that should really lead to a massive acceleration in both top line, which we think can actually double uh, between now and 2022, and earnings. Uh, so when we look out several years, we think the company can do you know north of four dollars this year and and north of six dollars next year. So if you put you know a 40 multiple on that, you could have a stock that's north of 240 dollars. Stock's about 185 today. In terms of the technical setup, the stock's been kind of consolidating the past six months. Uh, it's right now just slightly below its 50-day moving average, which is around uh, 186. The stock closed today around 185 and change. We think you want to be buying it above that 50-day moving average, but we think you really want to press big on it if it breaks out above 196. Yeah, Vertex is uh, is a stock that we've been you know covering pretty closely on uh, IBD for a number of years, and the thing that always has kind of puzzled me is it's had great earnings and sales growth since 2015, and really, if you, I mean, a lot of uh, the 
recent quarters have been in the triple digits in uh, earnings growth and sales growth in the 30 uh, percent range and really it uh if you you know you look at it since 2000 especially 2017 it hasn't outperformed the s p by a uh by a big margin just it's pretty much flat it's rs line so um and i know that that wall street has been you know also wanting them to move into other areas than cystic fibrosis because it's a somewhat limited market but um i guess uh how confident are you is this going to be the the uh the the thing that really triggers a big move because it seems like with the numbers that they've showed already this stock should have been a huge winner i i think you know what's interesting about the stock is it had a big run you know back in 14 15 then it kind of came down and then now it's kind of kind of consolidated but the like as you pointed out, Chris, the earnings line has moved up. I find yeah. a lot of times the 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 stocks I make the most money in are stocks where they the earnings line has moved up a lot, but the stock price hasn't followed yet. So we do think that the filing and the approval of this new cystic fibrosis drug can be a great catalyst for the stock. In terms of them trying to get into some other areas, they've got uh, a couple of other drugs in the pipeline. They've got a, a joint venture to treat sickle cell anemia which uh, I think uh, uh, could hopefully be something down the road. But I think if, if, this, if this triple combo drug for cystic fibrosis gets approved, I think it's going to be hard for investors to ignore the, the earnings and the revenue growth that's going to come from it. So I actually think this is a perfect time to be, be looking at the stock because there's a lot of positive catalysts that are, that are going to occur over the next year. And I love buying into an accelerating growth rate. Right. Well, we had this on leaderboard earlier in the year, and then when uh, earnings came out, and it reversed. Uh, we we got out of it, and it's been going back and forth since then. But uh, the base looks great. The only issue, you know, technically that I see is that it's been going sideways while the market's been going up. So now the RS line is lagging a little bit. Yeah, the RS ratings at eighty three. So yeah, but it, a lot a lot is building up. It seems like with the obviously and, the story is great. And I think if you look at the volume, I think it's clear the stock is under accumulation. So, yes. you know, that's one thing I really want to see. I like a stock that is basing, but also being accumulated, because I feel like that's like a powerful spring that's getting coiled and, and, and has good upside. Exactly. So let's go into the second stock, Randy. So the second stock is, is probably a little more, more commonly known name. That's PayPal. You know, PayPal is the largest online uh, payments platform. Payments has been a great space for investors over the last year. We think it's going to continue to be a good space. We think it's got great secular drivers and that the shift from, from cash to digital is still really in its early infancy when you think about the, the, the global environment. They're in over 200 markets now. They've got, they've got 200 million consumers using their platform, and they've got 20 million merchants. And just to give some sense of the scale, they process about 2 billion mobile transactions a year, which is just an unbelievable number. Uh, well, the stock's been a, good, been, you know, been a good performer recently. It's a little extended from its pivot point. Pivot point was around $94. Stock's around 103 uh, It's been kind of trending recently off its 21-day moving average. But I think this is a stock that investors want to have in their portfolio over the next year or two and should be you know, trying to pick their spots on, on, on where to be and where to add to it. In addition, I think in a slowing economy, the kind of s steady earnings and revenue growth this company has is going to be very attractive to investors. And I think it can either either hold its current P multiple of 35 times or really even expand it. I think, I think investors are going to be willing to pay up for growth stocks as the economy slows. Well, uh, you know, it's really acting well right now because 
the market is like uh, what's the 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 Nasdaq is down six percent from the high or so, and uh, PayPal is off one percent. So it's doing really well in the especially in the last week or so. So that's good to see. Uh, it's also this is another one where it had a really nice run in uh, 2017 and then uh, started consolidating in December of that year and it's kind of had a base on base on base and so it's really you know winding up for another move and that and frustrating that, a lot of people <laughs> shaking people sure, out well, right again we had it on leaderboard and uh and then the earnings didn't uh go uh as as well as expected and and so we we got shaken out of that but uh, yeah on a pullback or another you know uh maybe three weeks tight, slight consolidation, that would be a great place to go. But given what it's done before, it seems, you know, this could be a stock that would go up 100% this year. Now. Yeah, for full disclosure, I own shares of PayPal. <laughs> oh, good for you. Uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, now, Randy, what probably the, the, the exciting thing for me, especially even back in 2017, was Venmo. Yeah, I had no idea what this was, but all the people younger than me introduced me to, to Venmo. And uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. And that's, you know, they haven't completely monetized that yet, but they're, they're doing a great job of really building that user base. To put that in perspective, last quarter, they did almost $19 billion in, in, in transaction volume in, in Venmo. And like wow. you said, it's very popular with, with millennials and, and Gen Z. And so we think that is really the top peer-to-peer -peer platform out there globally, and we think it's going to continue to to grow to grow quite quite quickly. It's really been growing at about almost almost an eighty percent clip over the last year. So we're we're pretty excited about that. We think it does add sort of an additional leg long term to the story. And you know, I try to keep things simple sometimes. Digital payments is a big growth industry. You're still in the early innings of the secular change. And these guys are the leader. Perfect, and, and and they have that brand name too. I think that was the you know everyone's saying PayPal this or you know Venmo, Venmo me and and all that. So let we have time for one more stock here. Uh, so let's go to the third stock, WWE. So yeah, so the third stock's kind of an interesting mid cap stock. It's about a, about a seven billion cap, and it's 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 actually World Wrestling Entertainment, which I'm sure we all remember from watching you know growing up. Uh, what's interesting about WWE is it's kind of an old media company that's becoming a new media company. So obviously, previously, they, they made all their revenues and profits from doing live uh, shows and also from being on TV. But they've actually started up a direct-to-consumer uh, network uh, using the Internet. And they launched that back in 2014. It, it took a little while to get some traction, but now it's about 21% of the revenues, and it's growing at a pretty good clip. They actually have about 1.6 million subs right now, and that number grew about 30% over the last year. And now that they're starting to hit some critical mass on the, on the over-the-top strategy, margins are really starting to ramp. As a result, earnings growth, which hasn't been that rapid over the last year, is looking to really take off. Uh, over the next year or two, so they did. They did a dollar eleven in 2018. We think this year they can do more like a dollar twenty-five, but we think in the out year 2020 that those numbers could be possibly north of three dollars. So for a stock that's 84 with a three-dollar number out there for 2020, we think it's very attractive. So you know, I, I know that the the estimates for the next four quarters are a little lumpy. It's going to be up, a little down, and then it takes off. So what's what's happening this year that is 
everyone expects is going to get into gear next year. So one of the big things, they've just signed two major new deals on the old media side, one with USA Networks and one with Fox Sports. These are five-year deals that start at the end of 2019. They start in Q4 2019. And those two contracts are going to give, over the life of the contracts, about $460 million in revenue versus the old contracts, which were worth about $270. So that's obviously like a big ramp. So I think when you have the fact the old media business is doing well, about to get a big, big jump start at the end of the year with these new contracts, and you combine that from hitting critical mass on the, on the over-the-top strategy where margins are rapidly growing, it gives you a very powerful earnings story. And so we think it's a, it's a very interesting mid-cap stock. If we, if we look at the technicals, we actually think it's actionable right here. It's been kind of trending higher off the 50-day. We, we, we're trying to look to add to positions when it's near that 50-day, but, but we think clearly the stock's under accumulation. Yeah, the one thing about the, the, the base, it was down 40% off the high. Now, granted, it had a huge run-up, but I mean, one of the things that we know from research that we uh, put into creating the breakout index uh, is, you know, bases 40% or greater have a higher uh, propensity to, to fail, but it looks like, you know, what's happening right now is maybe there's a, a flat base that's uh, appearing, and so that would be very bullish if it can you know, consolidate here and then really take off. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times what I see, yeah, those deep bases, they, they have they struggle mm-hmm. working with once they break out and then they form a smaller, tighter base. So that's exactly what I was thinking there too. Okay, thanks so much, Randy, and thanks for being here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Randy Watts will be returning to the podcast on April 18th, so you definitely want to tune in for that. And, of course, keep an eye on the three stocks that Randy spoke about, WWE, Vertex, and PayPal. And up next, Chris Gessel and I, we're going to talk about key sell rules that we use to sell out of stocks when the market's really starting to get into trouble. So stay tuned. Want to find stocks like the ones on this podcast? A lot of the best names we talk about come from IBD's exclusive stock lists, like the IBD 50 and the Big Cap 20. Whatever type of investor you are, we got a list for you. You can access every one of IBD's lists, plus stock ratings, exclusive analysis, and one-on-one coaching with a membership to IBD Digital. It costs less than a dollar a day, but for podcast listeners, we're offering an even better price. Go to Investors.com slash podcast offer right now and get your first two months for only $20. You're listening to Investing with IBD, and with the current with the current market going through a pullback, we wanted to go over some sell rules that we can use to help manage our positions. And so we're going to cover the two, probably the two key sell rules, really to, I guess, to, to take profits and also when to hold a stock that you really like, right? So the first one, Chris, is taking profits at 20%. And for me, honestly, for me, this was the hardest rule to learn because when you're up 20%, you know, you're finally right. And that could go up to 100%. You're king of the world at that point. <laughs> right. How high can I go? Right. But uh, So let's talk about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. You have to have a plan in place right, to take advantage of, to lock in some gains. Because 20% is not easy. And you want to make sure you're locking in some of those gains. Uh, to make up for those short, quick losses that you've taken to make sure your principal doesn't go out of control. 
Yeah, and the thing, 20% is just not some random number. The, it, it, it really is born out of observation that a lot of stocks, they'll run up 20, 25%, and then they'll consolidate again, make a new base. So when you're in that, what we call the profit-taking zone, uh, you you really need to have a plan and understand, is this a stock that seems like an average stock, an average growth stock, or is this something that's really special that you have a lot of conviction about that you think can go uh, much higher? So, for, you know, personally, uh, I, I, you know, write notes on all the charts uh, on my, you know, the, the, the stocks that are in my portfolio. And, you know, it says, you know, conviction or 20 percenter. Uh, and then I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll write, you know, what would the sell rule be? What what would have to happen for me to sell this? And, and sometimes it's hits 20%, other times long-term sell signal, and we'll talk about that. But uh, how do you handle your portfolio? How do you know which ones you're going to do? Yeah, a lot of times for me, I, I put it in, if it's a game-changing stock or what mm -hmm. I think is a game-changing stock, those are the ones that I want to try to hold for longer. But even then, when I'm up 20%, I like to take something off the table. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've just round tripped too many stocks over the, <laughs> over you, the years. You too? <laughs> yes. So, so okay. I like to take something off the table, and now when it pulls back, then I can add back to it, or if it builds another base, I can buy out of it as it breaks out. And I think the the key is that now it decreases the the pressure that you have to be right. Mm -hmm. You know, that I like that partial selling. So for for pretty much every stock, I'll say 95% of the stocks, if it's up 20%, I'm taking something off the table. But for most stocks, I'm locking in those gains. If it's a tier two stock, mm -hmm. if it's not a game-changing stock, it's just a, a nice turnaround story, maybe a bigger brand, I'll lock in the gains at that point. And the thing is, uh, you want to be thinking about taking profits on the way up, not when the market is selling off. Right, right. But uh, let's say the ideal time to take profits are, are like last Thursday's market, where the market was up really nice, nice big extension. I think the NASDAQ was up like 6% in, uh, in nine days or something like that. And then Thursday was up well. And I'm just looking at all these stocks like, wow, this is really good. And when you start feeling like you're king of the world, uh, and yeah. uh, that's that's probably the cue that maybe you should go through your portfolio and and you know trim some uh, trim some positions, take some of those profits. Exactly. And uh, so let's get into the ten week line because this now you're holding on to stocks that game changing stock that that you think. And so we'll use the 10-week line here. Why don't you go into a little bit more about this? Well, yeah, and and again, it's not just because we picked it out of the blue. It's when we look at the big winners over time, there are so many examples of stocks that uh, just hold their 10-week line the entire run. Right. Others will, you know, they'll, they'll run up and they'll make a base, and maybe they only, um, they'll undercut the 10-week line, but volume won't be uh, very high. So... Uh, really what we're looking for is a break of the 10-week in volume. Uh, but, you know, if, even if your only rule is, does the stock close below the 10-week line, you take uh, profits, you're going to do very well for yourself that, that way. It really will get you the meat of most runs. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of times the key is having patience mm -hmm. for those ones that are game-changing stocks. And if they're acting really well, and, and the great stocks they behave a certain way in a great market, and they will just keep bouncing off that 10-week line over and over again, as long as the market's good and as long as the stock or the company is doing well. So let's take a look at a couple of stocks here. Uh, so the first one, uh, let's go into Chegg. Okay. 
Yeah, Chegg is uh, a stock that you know I know uh, has hit a lot of people's uh, radar, and and I, I some people around IBD have uh, owned it. And the thing about it is, it's an interesting stock. Uh, they used to rent textbooks. They still do that. So uh, I guess they didn't have textbook rentals when I was in college. No. But that was a long time no, ago. No, they, they, they would charge you like <laughs> 300% <laughs> yeah. before they had you at that point. Exactly. So this company was uh, taking advantage of that and, and for a good purpose. Uh, they still do textbook rentals. But now what they're really uh, making their money from are like the, the add-on subscriptions. Like there's, you know, they have online uh, study resources, whether it's for math or you know history, things like that, uh, tutoring help, and then writing help. Uh, so that's where they're really making their money. And really the, the, the legacy uh, textbook business is a sales uh, generator, a, a lead generator. Yeah, uh, and a lot of times, uh, and this is a really good example of this, if, if for a company that can, uh, that really catches a niche, you know, exploits a niche here and captures an audience, then they start providing more and more services uh, to it. So that's a really, really cool example. Yeah, so Chegg um, broke out of technically a first stage base back in January. And the the thing about it, though, is if you look at the weekly chart, um, you, you would notice that this stock, even though it corrected for you know a, a, a good amount and for a number of months really there was a, a, a flat base in June of last year and then it started uh, pulling back but if you look at that 200 day uh, line it never actually rolled over and right, so really right. th- and this goes back to what we were talking about last week of know where your stock is in its cycle so to me even though technically this reset it doesn't really look and feel like a reset it looks like the continuation of a big run and, and it broke out around eight or nine dollars and now it's you know around 40 so that's a yeah. big that's that's a big big move so when it broke out in january and started running up to me i wouldn't consider this uh you know a game-changing stock or something that's really early in its run and in fact on march 14th this chegg was our stock of the day and the reason it was the stock of the day is because it was up 25 percent from the buy a point and we were saying might be a good time to to take some oh, profits perfect. uh and you know it it uh held above that 25 percent area you know for three or four days and then started rolling over and then it really sold off hard last week uh and the stock was you know first um i mean two really big uh sell-offs and it ended the week below the 10-week moving average just a little bit but definitely below it and volume was huge, you know, well over like 150% for the week. So to us, that's a, that's a pretty clear, uh, we, got, we got two sell signals really close. One, a short term, you know, selling on the way up. And then like, well, this is not a good sign. Definitely, uh, it looks like an, a consolidation is happening. But given the volume that we saw, and I'm not sure what the news was during that period, but that would suggest that mm, maybe this this run might be over, or at least a long consolidation. Yeah, that, that's like the largest volume in over a year and a half mm-hmm. on, on the weekly chart. So that's definitely a, a warning sign right there. Okay, Chris, let's go into our second stock, Coupa Software, ticker symbol COUP. Yeah, now Coupa is a in the security, um, or I'm sorry, uh, software enterprise group. So 
leading sector, acting w- really well. And we put this on leaderboard in mid-January. And actually, we got a really good entry on it because we <clears throat> drew a downtrend line within that base. And so before it you know, was reaching the, the left side high, around 71 or so is where we entered it on leaderboard. And it acted well and just kept running up. And within a couple of weeks, we were already up 30%. Yep. And so at that point, it's like, you know, my gosh, uh, you know, this is you're triggering you, one of those cell rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 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 the thing that kind of made us uh, w- what we did at that point was we took half profits around thirty percent, and so that was probably in early February. So really, only two or three weeks later. And the reason why we were more quick to take profits because this was a third stage base. Again, going back, what's the life cycle? Where are you? And so you know, third stage, uh, we're not expecting. You know, th- there's a possibility it could just keep going, but uh, to get that kind of gain that quick uh, was, you know, I no one wanted to let it go. And this base was also a little deeper. It, yeah, it was kind right, of right. looking like a great example for a third stage base. Right? Yeah, exactly. They're a little bit messier, and uh, yeah, it uh, had a much tighter run, and now this one yes. was much wider and looser, everything like that. So we took. Uh, we, we took the profits in in or half profits, I should say, in early February, and then watched it go sideways. Which again, isn't that interesting? It hits the 25, 30 percent range and starts basing. So, uh, and it was pretty easy to hold. And then and then when the market got a little wild, it got really wild. And right. so there were some really big, uh, you know, uh, intraday it was swings. Five percent on March twenty first. And then the next day on March 22nd, it was down almost 9%. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and then there was a really big intraday swing where it went yep. all the way back to the top of the base. Although that was a weird thing. That was like, that might have even been a, a, a false trade because we I remember that happening and it was like a blip and then it popped right back. Yeah. But the, the thing that was really looming was that earnings were coming up. So uh, on the day before earnings, we sold the other half position and uh, we got this exact same price. It was right around 30%. And we switched that half position into an option position because we didn't want it to take the risk of watching a 30% gain turn into a 20 or 15% gain. So what did you do for the option position? You So you got out of the stock, mm-hmm. you bought a call option. Or, yeah, or we, we bought a call option. I think the expiration was in uh, April. Uh, maybe April 18th because it, uh, it, I'm not sure if this has weekly options, but we definitely wanted, you know, whenever we can get a, a slightly longer option rather than just a, you know, the near week, we want to do that just to give ourselves some time. And actually it turned out that that was a good, good deal because the stock, you know, sold off initially on, on, on the earnings and then came back and, uh, and then last week it had popped to a new high, closed at a new high, and we're all thinking this is great. Then uh, the correction started on Friday, and it came down hard. And today it closed below the 50-day. But for us, there's really nothing to do with it. We're just going to see how it handles. Uh, the option was only 3.2% uh, of a position, you know, risk, and so. You know, normally on a on a stock, you're you're willing to risk up to eight percent. On this one, it's three point two uh, for the half position, so it's not a, really a big deal. And we'll just see how it ha- uh, how it how it handles itself. Okay, thanks, Chris, for being here. 
And now that's your third time. It's a three-peat. Congrats on that championship. <laughs> what a streak. <laughs> Sell rules are usually the difference between good and great investors. Those great investors, they know when to hold those stocks a little longer and let those stocks really outperform the market. Now, next week, we're going to do the podcast a little bit earlier. It's going to be available on April 3rd. And we're going to have Mike Webster, a longtime portfolio manager for Bill O'Neill. And it's really cool. He's going to talk about where we are in this larger bull market cycle. So that's it for this week's episode of Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Pires. Thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.